You know, each week uh, when, when we leave as a family going home from church, we live, we live in Sumner, and we head out the back way. We go through, through Edgewood, as I, I think it's a back way, but Edgewood Drive that takes us off the hill and down through the valley towards Sumner. And, and if you've ever driven that Edgewood Drive, it takes you to the back side, and you go over to railroad tracks, and you see uh, the old cannery. Now, we've been here 14 years, and we heard about it, but we never lived in that side, so we never quite saw it, but now we pass by it every single day. And if you pass by it, there's a reader board on the, on the wall of the old cannery. And uh, during Christmas time, it had something written about, about Santa and him bringing you new furniture for the holidays, but that wasn't true. <laughs> I didn't get a new couch delivered for free. Did anyone else? Uh, you know, that's just not, it didn't happen. So false advertising, you know. And then the holiday passes there, and, and they update it pretty regularly. And just this last week, we noticed as a family driving through that the sign changed, and it's, you know, the new year, and it says, happy 2016, reinvent your life. And it caused me to, to pause and to think, all right, what are, they, what are they trying to communicate to me here this morning? First, I have no idea if it has to do with buying furniture. Maybe a new dining room table will reinvent my life. Maybe that's their point. I'm not sure. The second thing that crossed my mind, though, is, is really, how does that hit others that live in this culture, to, to, to read that? You know, how many of our, our people we work with or people in our neighborhoods or, or friends look forward to the new year so that they can be a new person? You know, usually this time of year, uh, people set out to make resolutions, right? It usually happens, you're, you're late already, but some people do that. Some people don't like to call it resolutions, they just call it goals, Either way, maybe your goal this, this year was to attend church. And so week two of 2016, you're here. So good job. Keep coming back. It's good to have you. But maybe you're here this morning just, just wanting something new. Maybe life this last year was really difficult. So you want to change how life is. You, you want to reinvent, as they say. You know, I looked at that word, curious. Really, what, what, what is it conveying? It means to, to change so much that it appears to be something new. Well, is it, is it that bad then, reinventing? You know, the old cannery in, in the Sumner area wants to wish people a happy 2016 and reinvent their life. But I, too, want you to reinvent your life. Not necessarily the same way that the old cannery is. Because if you're living for yourself, I'd like to see a change in your life. To be made new. You know, that's what God intends for us also, that we don't continue down the same path. You know, as I said uh, last week, we're going to start an adventure here today. We begin with the Gospel of John. I'm excited about that, spending time reading through and, and studying. I realized I made my first error of the year. Hopefully it'll be my last. Uh, but I communicated in the bulletin last week on the schedule that I was going to be preaching verses 1 through 5 of John 1, and, and I was wrong, actually. I wanted to preach... Verses 1 through 14, didn't realize it to this week. So we're going to talk about that. John chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. And, and folks, what we're talking about this morning is Jesus, okay? That's who we're talking about. And this is deep end theology. You know, we're at the pool here, and John knocks us over, and we're in the deep end. Um, there's questions that, that I saw as I dove into it, and we're going to look at those. Three questions in particular that I want to look at this morning who is the Word? What has the Word done? And what is the Word doing? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 1 if you're already ready. And we're going to follow with me as I read. 
John chapter 1. I'm reading from the ESV, if you're curious, the version. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to come this morning and join together as a body of Christ here in Edgewood. We thank you for your word that, that teaches us and, and guides us and leads us. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to come and to worship together, worship in song and singing, worship in, in our giving back. You've given us so much, God. And yet we, we, we continue to worship. We have the opportunity now to worship through the preaching of your word. And we ask that you would, would teach us this morning. God, I ask and I, I beg that you would be the, the main focus of their time this morning. That people would know and, and see you in this text. That they would understand who you are. As we, we look at your word, God, give us insight as we understand then who the word is and, and what he's done and what he is doing. Give us clarity, give us understanding, cause us to be changed this morning by the, the preaching of your word. And we'll give you all the honor and all the glory. For we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. As we dive into a, a new book and a gospel, I want, I want to answer a few questions that you might have as a student of the of the word. The first and, and foremost one is, is who wrote the gospel? Who wrote the gospel of John and when was it written? Well, it, was, it was John, one of the brothers known as the sons of Zebedee, or as Jesus said, one of the sons of thunder. His brother James was also apostle. Although, although John is not named in the book specifically, instead he prefers to identify himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved. He, he was one of the, the three intimate friends uh, of Jesus during his earthly ministry, along with Peter and James. And John primarily was an eyewitness to, uh, to his ministry and a participant of Jesus' earthly ministry. You know, eyewitness is very important, right? If you sit down across the table from someone and they say, I have a story to tell, and then they say, because I was there, you're, you're kind of keyed in, right? You, you want to know because they were there. And I remember as a kid uh, studying and, and reading about World War II, and in the classroom, it just seemed kind of stale and boring. But my grandfather, who, who served in the military and who was there, would sit down and talk about World War II. I was keyed in. I wanted to hear because he was an eyewitness to this. Well, this is John. And John is an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. And so what he has to say is, is very important. 
So after Jesus ascended to heaven, John became a pillar in the Jerusalem church as stated in Galatians 2.9. And he ministers with Peter until he went to Ephesus. And from there he wrote this gospel when he was exiled. He authored a couple other books of the Bible. He authored uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he also authored Revelation with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, it said uh, as, as I researched this, that this book, this gospel was was written at about 80 or 90 AD, almost 50 years after he witnessed Jesus's earthly ministry. You know, the thesis of this book is, is all the way at the end of the book. And you see it on the slide there. It's uh, in, in the end of, of John, John 20. It's usually interesting when you sit down to write a paper, let's say you're going to write a paper for a class or, or something, you usually start at the beginning, right? You want to put out your thesis and say, this is what I'm going to accomplish. Well, John does it a little differently in this gospel. You know, he, he, he writes, and at the very end, he clues in his audience as to what he's been saying all along to, to regain their focus. And he says in, in, in that verse, John 20, 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believing in life is what he's driving towards here. Now, Jesus came to bring us, bring life to us. You know, he, he came to, to steal from the old canary. He came so that we could be reinvented, made new. But, but not many in our people, in our, in our world, they don't know what to do with Jesus. You know, they hear about him, especially at Christmas time. They don't know what to do with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know what to do with this Jesus. You, you really don't know him. You don't know what he's done or who he is. You've come to the right place. Maybe, maybe there are others here this morning that you have been here for quite some time. In fact, you've, you've attended for years. You're tipping your hat at Jesus. You're here, but really you don't understand why he's that important. You don't understand what, what's the big deal with Jesus. Well, the, the apostle John knew Jesus well, and he, and he has written a masterful book for us to teach us, to guide us, to lead us into a, a greater understanding so that we would believe in Jesus and then through that belief we'd have life. I was talking to a few people this week about what I was preaching on. Some, some asked and recognized that John 1 is one of the most difficult texts to preach. In fact, I was talking to another pastor friend and when he found out how many verses I was covering, he kind of laughed at me. He said, you can just stick in verse one and be there. But it, it is a difficult text. So I was commenting to my wife this week as I was studying and I was going back into the Greek and reading and looking over the verses and rereading and going over it again that my mind was turning to mush because I was getting wore out. There was so much there. So it's a difficult text, but I'm gonna try my hardest here to communicate this morning what, what John is really trying to, to bring out for us. And, and I wanna encourage you as, as we dig in, as we take a, a larger section that we won't cover every single thing. So part of your job this week when we leave is to read, go back into John 1. Read those verses again and again. You know, ask these same questions that we're asking. Read it, soak on it, meditate it, memorize it. Go back to John 1, and, and I know the Lord will bless that time as you study his word. So the first question that I, I want to ask is, who is this word? Who is this word? You know, if someone were to come up to you this afternoon and ask, where did God come from? I, I would hope you go back to John chapter 1 and, and, and read it, you know, or, or just explain it to him. God, God didn't come from anywhere. He has always been. God has never had a beginning and he will never have an ending. God was around before anything else was. And in fact, he made everything. 
But of course, this, the next natural question, this usually happens with kids. You know, at a certain age, four or five, kids start asking these questions like, who made God? Good questions, right? Adults sometimes need to ask these questions. But the next one is, is why is God like that? You know, why, why does he do that? Or why does he say that? You know, it's a natural question, right? But we're all one way or another here this morning. Some of you like football. They were here in the first service, so they get home to watch the game. Maybe you're just recording it. I don't know. Some could care less about football. Some drink tea. Some drink coffee. Lots of coffee. Some like dressing up, and and some just barely get dressed at all and prefer pajamas and sweatpants. We're all different, but we all learn our behavior by our background, our family, our settings, and those sort of things. That makes up who we are, but but this is not so with God. He is the way that he is. He didn't get to be that way. He has always been this way. No environment caused God to, to change. He's unchangeable. He has been what he is forever and ever and ever and ever. He has always existed. That's what it means to be God. And one of the the other things that I want you to see and we're going to kind of drill into this morning is is that Jesus is life. He's our eternal life. He's he's alive. He's a living person. Not, Not just a human person, but a divine person. He's alive doing something and thinking and feeling for all of eternity. And, and you can go back in history, before there was history, and there would be God. He's always been. And so John writes here, he begins this, this gospel, and he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You know, this is the start of, of the prologue of John's gospel, which, which spans down from verse 1 all the way through verse 18. You know, the prologue is, is the leading into of the story in which John is going to share with us. This prologue is, is the most complete and most explicit study of Christ's preexistence in all the New Testament. And what I mean by preexistence is, is his meaning, his existence before the world was. And it's the most complete in all the New Testament. You know, there's a number of themes that are listed through these 18 verses that, that John picks up throughout the gospel, like the preexistence of Christ or, or the divine light that enters the world or the, the opposition of light and darkness and what life is. But John here clues us in at the very beginning of all creation and time, there was the word. John, when he, he went way back for this description of Jesus. He, he didn't go back to the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry it wasn't, he didn't go to the beginning of the Old Testament or the prophets, no. And he didn't go back to even Adam and Eve or, or even creation of the world. No, he goes back even further. He's taken us back before Genesis. He says, in the beginning was the word. So just to understand, Jesus and God existed at the same time. They're God, they've always existed. They were not created. They've always been. And, and the word here was a perfect expression of God, the Father, who, is all, who also has already existed. This word was an active communion with God, and this word inherently shared the same nature with God. It's, it's important to, to, to consider the meaning of word as a key to understanding of the whole gospel. You know, why did John choose the word to describe Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? I, I believe it's because of the Old Testament's continual usage of, of that idea. You know, throughout the Old Testament, you read that, that they had the word of God. 
or, or they would hear a word from the Lord, or it was through the word. And, and that phrase, it communicates one thing. There's a message. Jesus Christ, the Logos, the word, he is both the inward and expressed thought of God. He is the accurate representation of the Father. He is the supreme communicator. We needed to know and understand God, and so he translated himself into a person, the word, Jesus Christ, who has come to live and to teach and to show us who God truly is so that we might know him, that we would understand and believe in him. Christ is the word of God in two respects. He, is, he, is, he expresses or reflects the mind of God and he reveals God to man. He is the heaven-sent message of God for us. So since the word existed in the beginning, you would, you would think that either the word was God or the word was with God, but John affirms for us both to be true. First, he tells us that the word was with God. Which, which is much more than Jesus being around when things were created. It's an active part in relationship with the creation. But we're going to cover this in the, in the second question. But Jesus was there with God the Father when all this was created. It, it is one thing to be with God when all this was created. It's another thing to altogether be God. And, and John is showing us that Jesus and the Father are God. You know, calling Jesus God stretched the boundaries of this first century monotheistic Jew. They hear this and understand it. This would have rocked their world. You know, monotheism is the, the, the belief and understanding that there's one God. And so this would have been transformational to the Jew to understand, well, this Jesus that, that I heard of, that I saw possibly, he's, he's God. And it's the clearest declaration of who Jesus is in all the Bible. And John is literally saying, Jesus is God. You know, it's John's intention that the whole gospel would be read with the clear understanding of this verse. The word and the work of Jesus Christ are the word and work of God himself. The reader needed to understand this. You know, he's the greatest of all people that have ever lived. He is, he is the true Messiah of the Jews but even more than that, he is the son of God, the divine messenger from the Father. You know, as I, as I study, as I read, and, and you should do this at any point, whether you study the word or just read a book, you always need to ask the question, so what? So what? So why does it matter that Jesus is God? Does it matter? Can life still go on if Jesus is not God? Do you have to believe that Jesus is God to be saved? All these are very important questions. If a person does not believe that Jesus is God, they cannot be called a Christian. To be a Christian means you are a Christ-believing person. A Christian is one who believes in the deity of Jesus Christ. If Christ is not God, then he cannot be eternal. And if he's not eternal, that his sacrifice on the cross was as meaningful as my death would be on a cross. It would have no eternal value. If Jesus is not God, his once-for-all sacrificial death would not be applied to believers in the past, in the present, or in the future. If Jesus is not God, then we would be left to save ourselves. But our good works are not enough to get us to heaven. An imperfect man cannot do good works to perfection. And so we couldn't get into heaven. But let's say God changes the rules, and he says, well, I'm going I'm to now allow this imperfect person 
into heaven anyways. And then my implication, good works are, were really not that necessary since God would allow an imperfect man into his presence and it makes God a liar. No, what we see and, and read in these verses is that God is the initiator. You know, what, you know what the difference is between Christianity and every other religion? You know, actually, there's, there's, two, there's two types of religions, okay? I'll boil it down real simple for you. There's the religion of do and the religion of done. That's it. The religions of this world communicate that you must do this and 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 do this. But not with God. That's, that's what he's trying to communicate right here. Christianity is God has done. He did it. He sent Jesus. He is the initiator. If Jesus is not God, then you have no hope of salvation from your sins. If Jesus is not God, then you don't have a mediator between us and a holy God. If Jesus is not God, then his life on earth was little more than 30 years of time wasted. God has appointed one way of salvation, and Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the Bible teaches us that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And there is no other name but by Jesus, which you must be saved. You know, John later says, and he's emphatic about this, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. And what, what is at stake if we do not believe that Jesus is God? Everything. Eternal salvation of perishing people is gone. So I want you to understand and see that, that this word, this word is Jesus Christ. And so the second question is, what has the word done? Look again down at your Bibles there. Again, in verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. You know, this sentence means that the creation work was the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.16 says of Jesus, he says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In Hebrews 1.10, when talking about Jesus, says, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Folks, the, the New Testament is screaming at us to recognize that Jesus is God. And, and, and John wants his readers to clearly see that Jesus is more than a teacher, more than a healer, more than a nice guy. He is truly God. He is our creator of life, and he comes to bring us true life. This here is, in, in the beginning verses, is the first teaching of the Trinity that we read in the New Testament. I wish I had all the knowledge and understanding of the Trinity, but yet in my finite mind, I can't fully grasp and understand all of this. That I wish I could teach you and explain it to you, the, the, the Trinity, that three distinct persons and yet one. You know, we try in our world to, to, to think of analogies, right? We talk about an egg or describing the Trinity like H2O, you know, one part water, ice, gas, the whole issue. But all of those analogies fall short. They, they, they fail to properly represent the bigness of our God. The, the Trinity is not a contradiction, but a paradox. God is much bigger and much greater than we can understand. And to be honest, 
I'm okay with that. The, the teaching of the Trinity is clearly taught in Scripture, and so we need to preserve that. So if you're hoping for a detailed teaching this morning, I'm sorry to disappoint. We're not going to go there. Maybe another time. What John, again, is saying here, he's saying that Jesus is our creator of life. This is what he's doing. This is what he's done. But the fact is that rubs people the wrong way in our culture. They, they don't like that. You quickly see a great divide between the atheistic worldview and the Christian and biblical worldview about this. For the atheist, it begins with lifeless matter and energy. And somehow, it's just there. They don't know where it came from, but since there was nothing there before to produce it, it's just there. You know, they're guessing. They're, they're hoping, possibly, just maybe they're right. They won't tell you that. And then they say that, that for billions and billions of years, with no creator, no intelligence, no direction, no purpose, no plan, there comes from nothingness, this completely lifeless matter and energy, there comes life. It's, for them, it's just born out of nothing. It's born out of non-existence. But we know otherwise from John 1. But Christians, it, you know, it starts, life starts with life. There was a living personhood who was there when there was nothing. And he's always been. In the beginning was the word. And in him was life. And he didn't just exist. No, he he acts, he creates. You know, the fact of, of God creating the heavens and the earth is one of the most important doctrines in all of the Bible. And God creating is not some sort of throwaway theology. Now, folks, this isn't just teaching for kids, okay? We need to teach our kids, but it's not just for kids. This teaching isn't just for, for high school students who like to argue against uh, evolutionists. You know, this isn't just for college kids who are inundated day in and day out by the, the onslaught by the college professors to say, no, you evolved. It's not just for them. This is for you. You know, to say that Jesus is God and he is our creator is to say that he is the one in whom you find your identity and purpose. This is for you. He says here, verse 3, all things were made through him. All things. And without him was not anything made that was made. He covers everything. He made it all. Your God not only created the world, the, the cosmos, and everything in it. No, he created you. Recognize this morning, you exist because God chose to make you. You exist because God chose to make you. And when he made you, he made you for himself. He didn't make you to take up space. He didn't make you so that you could acquire things. He didn't make you so you could be cool and liked and have a lot of friends on Facebook. He made you for his glory. He made you for his pleasure. You are here this morning for the sake of another. 
And, and this doesn't diminish your purpose. This doesn't diminish your value. No, it's the opposite. It brings purpose. It brings value. And, and I want you to stop listening to the, to the lies of this world. You're not here for yourself. You're not in control of your destiny. You're not your own master. You didn't invent yourself, and so you can't reinvent yourself. You exist for God. And wherever you look on this planet, you see life. You see living people. You see images of God. Because we're all created in the image of God. The word who was with God and was God, he was life. You've never met an ordinary human being. There, there isn't one. We're all extraordinary. We're all created unique. And we're all amazing because of God, not because of ourselves. But there's yet more because we're all created and we're all dead. We need life. Which leads to my third question. What is the word doing? John writes in verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. You know, the life that, that John mainly has in view here is new life, spiritual life, saving life, eternal life. Listen to what he writes a few chapters later in John 5, 24. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And what John is saying in that verse is, is that apart from believing in Jesus Christ, we're all dead. In order to live forever and not come into judgment, we need the gift of life. And that life is found in Jesus. We need Jesus. John speaks a lot about life in this gospel. He also writes it in his other other books, 1 John 5, he says, and this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. In Jesus, there is life. So if you have the son, you have life. But what he's saying also is that if you reject him, you are rejecting life. If you reject him, you were rejecting life. He faced this in his ministry. John 5, 40 says, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And so when John writes in verse four, in him was life, he's talking about spiritual life, eternal life, life that God gives to save us from his judgment. If you have Jesus if he is living in you and you're living in him, life is in you and you are in the life. You have life forevermore and your union with, with our creator God cannot be broken. 
But, but John isn't done with this statement. No, he continues and he says that this life was the light of men. You know, John is going to use this illustration many times throughout the gospel. It, it's one that we're very familiar with in our world, right? We, we can easily relate and understand light and darkness. When you walk into a room at night and the light's off, it's dark. What do you do to rectify that situation? Are you anyone awake there? You flip the switch, right? Some kids don't. They just walk in the dark because they don't want to do that. Well, let's say you were to go out to a restaurant this afternoon, which that's not true. You're all going to go home and watch the recorded Seahawks game, right? So let's say you're sitting on your couch and you're watching the Seahawks game, okay? Most people on the field look alive, right? Most. It's really cold in Minnesota. Maybe they won't. But if you were to walk up, if let's say you're there and you walk up to them and say, you know, you're dead. They'd probably look at you pretty strangely. They'd probably think you're crazy. Well, that's what John's saying though, right? Well, let's say we replace deadness with spiritual blindness and darkness. Well, then you begin to understand what John is trying to communicate to us this morning. People are, are not dead because they, they can walk, talk, think, and feel. They're dead because even though they might see, they don't truly see. New life brings light. Now, this world, this world doesn't see Jesus as valuable. They do not see his sacrifice as precious. They don't see fellowship with him as needed. They, they are blind to these things because they walk in darkness, which is the absence of light. They are spiritually dead to the reality surrounding them. And, and the only way that they will see is for them to, to have a light switch flipped on. You know, if your neighbors, if your coworkers, if your family are going to see things and receive them as truth, if they're going to see and understand Jesus, they need the light. And life will make seeing possible. So John writes in verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. New life brings light. New life brings the ability to see and understand. And, and John writes this about, about Jesus and who he is and why he came. In John eight twelve, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is what he's going to communicate through the gospel, the light of real life. When you believe in Jesus and repent of your sins and follow him, you receive real life, eternal life. But then John writes, the, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. And John's, he's gonna further expand upon this throughout the gospel. and It'll become more, more plain as we go through what I want to stress here this morning is that we're all blind. We're all, we're all born into this world blind. That's why he says in verse 9, everyone, everyone, you, me, your neighbor, your Uncle Bob, your Aunt Janice, everyone, we're all born into this world blind and in darkness. This is the condition of the entire world, and until we have Christ, we will not have passed from death to life. You know, somehow we've, there's people that want to soften this in some way. That, that They're not a bad person. They don't really do that many bad things. 
Well, the gospel says otherwise. They're blind. They're in darkness. And Jesus has come into this dark world as a light. And the light of life has come. And, and John says the darkness has not overcome it. Well, what does he mean by that? Maybe your translation is different. Maybe it has comprehend or understand. It's, it's kind of one of both, actually. John is trying to communicate two ideas with one word. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. But the darkness did not grasp it, did not understand the light, and it didn't snatch it either. It didn't master it. It didn't overpower it. You know, John is communicating both ideas very strongly. Jesus, the light of the world, came and shined forth, and the world didn't understand him, and it didn't stop him. The light has been shining, and the light will continue to shine. Verse 11, he says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John's gonna come back to this discussion of the, of the world's response. Jesus was rejected. We know that now as we can read the entire gospel and the account, but he was rejected by the Jewish people in the world. A rejection that, that finally led to the cross. You know, John is, is not intending to communicate that Jesus failed in any way, but, but rather uncovers the character of this world in which we live. It's a world of darkness. And, and it shows us how the world reacts when it's penetrated by light. How, if you, if you read and, 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 and you've studied at some point, go through the gospel, how do they react when Jesus says who he is? You know, John's gospel is one of, they have seven of the I am statements from the Old Testament where, where Jesus declares that he is God. They don't respond well to that. And this is a serious thing. This isn't something to wink at. John says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. You know, just a few verses earlier in, in verse three, John writes that Jesus was the one who created everything. Do you know that if you create something, you own it, right? If I, if I go up to my garage and I have some wood and some screws and some glue and with my own energy and my own thought, I create a bed frame, guess what? It's mine. You can't take it. It's mine. I could give it to you, but it's mine. Jesus created this whole world. So who owns it? Who owns this world? Come on, you can answer this time. God does. It is his The world rejects him. The world says, I don't want anything to do with you. You know, this world in which we live is not a neutral place. It's not an open place of questions and discussions and curiosity about God. This world in which we live is hostile towards light. And yet, this shows the nature and the love and the heart of God. In the midst of this, in the midst of the world's hopelessness and the hostility towards him, what does God do? 
He sends his son into this world, into his world. John says in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came as a man to live with us. How humiliating it would have been for perfect God to come live with us, sinful creatures. And not Jesus, a man, but fully God. He's, he's the exact representation of the Father, full of grace, full of truth. This is Jesus. So how many of you made New Year's resolutions? Maybe you don't want to raise your hand. Goals, we'll call them goals. I think most people think through that. Maybe some are a little late, first week of January. You know, maybe you set a goal this year that you're going to be better with money. You're going to be more wise in how you use money. Or, or maybe you'd like to lose some weight. Or maybe you'd like to, to grow and change in how you interact with people, not get as angry as quickly. All of which are, are good goals, but can I suggest that one of your New Year's resolutions, one of your goals for this year should be to get to know Jesus better. Put that one at the top. Spend regular time with him. Folks, he's a, he's a person, right? Do you believe it? That Jesus is a person. And spend time with him. Read his word. Pray. Memorize, just meditate on God's word. And, and by doing so, you'll understand what life is and what life should be. We're always, this world's always looking for life. It still is. We, we see it all the time. We hear about it in the news. The, the, this world is looking for ways to live and to reinvent their life so that it'll go better for them. The world sees and understands the devastation of sin. They don't know the cause. The world cries out for, for relief from sin. They're not willing to submit themselves to the Lord. You know, there are countless voices trying to persuade people into believing that their way is the right way to live. We have companies and media and politicians vying for the attention of the world. We have political and economic voices arguing that if we recognize and reorganize and restructure, we can build a world with equity and charity, and that will win the day. Or we have still other voices that are more deeply personal and sensitive, saying that the problem is not social, but it's human. More specifically, the human soul is, is in need of repair or some sort of renewal. So, so we need to provide the right education. We need to provide therapy. We need to provide vision then when all of that happens, it will be made right. And unfortunately, these same voices can be heard in many pulpits throughout America. But they're missing something. They're missing hope. You know, the gospel of John is not about a message that offers hope. But it is the, the message that is the only hope. 
The Gospel of John is not about an idea. It's about a person. The word became flesh tells us that God is not merely interested in communicating some sort of concept for us to live. He intends to communicate himself. The word became flesh tells us that the message is not hidden away for scholars or teachers or mystics, but was lived in the world and was, was, he was touched and he lived with people and he was heard and he was felt. And the word became flesh tells us that Jesus is not just a man. He's God and he brings life. And John says though, but verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Church, he gave us the right. And, and really what that really means is he gave us the privilege. He gave us the privilege to be children of God. When you believe in Christ, when you trust in him, you're, you're born again. Not, not of blood like from your mother's womb, but of, you're born of God. He does this, you don't. It's the will of God, not of man. My prayer for, for us as Edgewood Bible Church is that many will hear and understand the gospel this year and that you will be involved in that. I pray as you, as you learn and grow, as we dive into this gospel, and as we grow together, that you don't hold it in, that you don't hold it to yourself and hoard it, but you're looking for opportunities to share. Whether it's your coworkers, your family, your friends, people that you live with, look for opportunities to share this gospel. And I pray throughout that and through our church family that we will, we will learn and we will grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That more people will know Jesus this year because of our impact, because of our ministry. Join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and to worship together. And now, Father, being be challenged from your word and what a challenge it is to us. Father, I love your word. Thank you for giving it to us that we can learn and grow. Help us, God. Help us to not just read and study the Bible, but to apply it, to put it into practice in our life. Please, Father, continue to give us grace as we stumble, as we fall, as we learn. I pray that we would continue to spend time with you on a regular basis. That we would get to know Jesus. And as we know him more, help us to be bold to share him with others. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.